When we think of the future of leadership in sales, what, or rather who, do we see? Women in Sales Everywhere and Sales Loft have teamed up to answer this question, and let me assure you, there's no doubt that the future is female. I'm Sydney Sloan, Chief Marketing Officer at Sales Loft. And I'm Alex Adamson, Executive Director of Women in Sales Everywhere. We'll be sitting down with each outstanding female leader on our inaugural Future Female CROs list to discuss everything from their sales philosophies to how they keep their lives organized to how they unwind after a breakneck day. Together, we'll dig into exactly what makes each of these women so extraordinary. Thanks for listening. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to our Future Female CRO list. This is Alex Adamson. I'm the director at WISE. And today we are chatting with Sandy Close, Managing Director of Primary Accounts at S&P Global. Hi, Sandy. Hi, good morning. Thank you so much for for hopping on. It's so nice to meet you. I was having so much fun prepping for this chat because I think you have such an incredible background at large companies where you've had really amazing tenure and, and growth throughout your sales career. I have a million questions for you. But to start, uh, just so so folks listening can familiarize themselves with yourself and, and your background, can you tell us a little bit about how you grew to where you are and what you're doing now at S&P Global? Yeah, well, I've only really worked for two companies, Thomson Reuters, Refinitiv, um, Thomson Financial, a series of iterations there, and then for the last year or so at S&P. Um, I've been really, really fortunate to sort of get on a good path early with lots of good leaders, not always in the sales space. I spent a lot of my early career more on the operational side of the business and then landed in a sales ops role, which from there transitioned into a, a sales leadership position. I've worked for lots of great and lots of different people. Um, I've worked mostly in the US, but also was really lucky to get to move to Hong Kong with my family for a couple of years and, and lead a business business segment there. So it's been a a somewhat narrow path, I guess, in some ways within a single company, but lots of different types of roles. I feel like I've done almost every role except for HR and finance. (laughs) Well, I'd love to to chat a little bit more about that transition, particularly from the sales ops side of things, because I think that's something that we'll see occasionally with growth into a CRO role, but it's so valuable when you are in a strategic leadership executive position, because a lot of your job is more of the the ops side, building out territories, things like that. So can you tell us a little bit more about that experience? I first transitioned from a business ops role to a sales ops role. So that was sort of my entry into the more commercial side of the organization. And it was a, a bit of an evolution in that we created a, a new role called market development, which sort of sat between product and sales, and that sat within sales ops. I sort of toe in the water headed that direction first, thinking about the market overall as opposed to owning an individual book. So I, I sort of went a little bit slowly that direction and was also really fortunate to have a leader who understood, I think, to your point, the value of having that operational experience. I had sold early in my career and then moved away from it. So it was it's sort of bringing all that back together, actually, when when you think about a CRO kind of role. And you mentioned a leader who sounds like was was a great advocate and mentor and maybe helped you think about different directions you could go with these experiences. And in a previous conversation, you told our team a story about a woman on your team that you were, you know, a huge reason that she felt like she could go into sales leadership because you had similar styles. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and this idea of the importance of mentorship and being able to see those sorts of leaders throughout your career? 
Yeah, I think probably not atypical of folks in other sales organizations. It's not uncommon to have a very um, a loud leader at the top, right? Someone who has that more typical personality uh, in terms of sales leadership. And I worked for a number of individuals like that. I'm not generally that type of person. I don't tend to be a, a really loud out there leader. And I used to worry about that. I, I used to think that if I was going to be successful, I had to change. Women in particular sometimes feel that way, you know, that you have to somehow become that bigger personality that can take over a room. And I, I was sort of ironic how in that moment, sort of I'd had those conversations, I'd had that conversation with my boss about, you know, what would it take to get to the next level and how would I need to represent myself and what would my brand have to be and all those things. And was really sort of in an active conversation about how to change and got cornered at a party, a holiday party and by a younger woman who made a point of saying how important it was was for her to see me as a leader because that allowed her to see herself as a leader and recognize that maybe she could be her authentic self and didn't have to change um, in order to progress. And I've stayed very true to that over the, the longer haul. It certainly makes it easier to show up to work every day. And I think it's a lot of work to try to be someone else. It's something I've thought about consciously and that actually kind of backed away from from trying to change and, and have sort of continued to just do what I do and do it the way I do it. And, and I've gotten much more comfortable in my own in my own skin that way. I think that's such phenomenal advice. And for those maybe listening who have been told by a manager or been told that they do need to change the way that they carry themselves or they need to be more outgoing or things like that. What advice would you have for sales reps who want to make that next step? The feedback they're getting feels a little inauthentic for them. Yeah, I mean, I think change is real. It's not to say I haven't changed over my career. I haven't changed the way I approach things. And I think taking it in a measured way and judging who it's coming from and to why um, and not being afraid to change. I would describe myself as a very inward looking person and not an outgoing person. All I will say I have changed. I've certainly changed that style a little bit over time, but not to the point that it's uncomfortable. So I think you have to take on board if it comes from a person that you respect and that you believe in and that you want to follow. I think you do sometimes have to make those changes, but they're they're tweaks around the edges. They're not a wholesale change in, in who you are and who you want to be. And if anything feels really inauthentic, if that's a word, you don't change that, right? You have to you have to stay true to who you are and, and how you want to show up. On that topic, how do you think your leadership style has evolved in recent years, even making the change from Thomson Reuters over to, to SMP? And then what have you kind of learned about yourself in that aspect? The Thomson Reuters to SMP was a difficult change, not maybe not even as much a change from a leadership perspective, but after a very long career at a single company, you don't realize what you know about that company. You don't realize how dependent you are on your network on some of the detailed knowledge. And, and in particular, when you stay for a very long time, it's almost like I came up from the mailroom, you know, and learned a lot from the bottom up. And so then to move into a new company and to have to start cold was, you know, something obviously I anticipated, but I would say the one thing I didn't appreciate was the value of the network I had and the internal network I had. And I hadn't consciously created that. It was something that had developed over a very long period of time. So to move into a new role and then to have to consciously manufacture that network to be successful took more energy and deliberate approach than I would have liked. And when you add on top of that, that I started post-COVID, um, so I've never been to the office, never met anyone who reports to me. I have met a handful of people during the interview process, which concluded right before we all went remote. You know, I have really had to use technology to help me connect with people. I think 
the flip side is that while that is a bit of a barrier sometimes, particularly in global roles, the fact that we've all now moved to this video interface very comfortably has, I think, really just broken down the, the, some of the global barriers that existed before and less about it even being global, more about just being remote, not remote. So I would be in New York and I would be going up the elevator. I would see someone in the elevator and later I would be in a meeting and they wouldn't show up to the meeting. They dial into the meeting and it very much frustrated me. So I would call them out and ask why they weren't in the room and assume that they were multitasking behind the scenes. But in those meetings for folks not in the room, all of that, you know, sidebar conversation that happens can make you feel really disconnected from from the group. And so now that we are all on the phone in a, you know, Zoom call or, or a Teams chat, it makes my folks in Pakistan and my folks in Manila and my folks in you know Wisconsin all on a level playing field. And, and I think that's really special. And, and I plan to use that going forward, right? So I will never do another team meeting where half my team is in the room and half my team is on the phone. I will send us all back to our desks to dial in. It just creates such a better dynamic for us as a team. That changed my leadership style. I think we've all had to adapt to how we communicate. I think it works really well in a one-on-one way. It works well for team meetings. Um, Some of the bigger brainstorming stuff is much harder to do and and harder to lead a group through change, I think, in this kind of environment. But there have been lots of positives as well. I read something the other day, basically, that as some companies are going to be work from home, some companies are going to be more flexible, etc., there's a concern that visibility and promotion into leadership roles will be more difficult for the folks who are remote because they're not getting as much face time. Do you have any any thoughts on that or advice for companies who might be making the decision about how they want to handle going back? I think we don't know, right? It's it's such a so much change happening. In my team and in, in the teams I'm working with now, I think it just got easier for those who are remote. Assuming they were remote before, if they are now also remote, it just got a little bit easier because I think we're all a bit more visible in a a remote way. I do think we have to find different ways to show up. Maybe it is less comfort for some people, but maybe for others, it's a better medium and and a better way for them to present themselves. So I think that the key for us, at least now in the moment, is we're all remote. (laughs) For the moment, you know, there's no advantage, disadvantage based on location. And I want to try to be deliberate in bringing that back into the office when we go back, if we go back, how we go back, you know, which there's still obviously a lot of unknowns. It's made it easier for me as a leader to think about my next layer of leadership and the potential for those leaders to sit in very different locations uh, over the next couple of years. I I think that um, we all have to think that way. The world got a lot smaller in some ways. I want to touch on something that I think you bring to the table that that a lot of people maybe are are still learning how to do, which is managing teams internationally. Can you tell us a little bit about things that have made you successful in doing that? Corners that folks should be looking around as they're stepping into roles for their managing teams around the world. I have managed global teams for a decade, sad to say. You know, some of the things are still still remain true over that whole period of time, which is just people are people. And, you know, it, it is about connecting and finding a way to connect. It was really helpful to be able to travel early on. Um, I spent a whole summer early in my career working from Asia in the Philippines and Australia and across Asia. And, and that led me to really sort of appreciate how how much alike we all are uh, and, and how we come to work today, every day, trying to achieve the same things. And that actually can be a lot harder to work from those locations. You're so far from where decision-making happens and where it feels like all the energy is. 
well, the thing that was probably pivotal for me was actually working from Asia, literally doing your job there and understanding how challenging time zones are and how difficult it is when all the leaders who would make those decisions, you, you don't wander by any of them. You have no relationship with them. And I thought when I went to Asia, my job was going to be about, you know, sort of learning about the markets in Asia and doing sort of the same thing I had done in other locations, but doing it there. And, and what I realized when I got on the ground was I was never going to know the markets in Asia the same way that the locals, you know, and the folks in the region knew the markets. But what they lacked was the connectivity back to where decisions were made and how decisions were made in other offices. And, and I really spent my two years there just being a conduit to leaders in other locations and, and kind of helping to connect the dots. Uh, it's very hard from so far away to really understand how things get done. It became more about helping everybody do their jobs every day, asking questions about, you know, where were they lacking information? Where were they feeling like they weren't connecting with the decision-making process? That experience changed the way I lead and the questions I ask my team, um, because I'm not trying to do their job. They know how to do their job better than I can do their job, but where can I help? Where can I show up in a different way or can help them show up in a different way in front of different people uh, with a slightly slightly different message? Um, so communication and, and understanding what it is that you bring to that relationship from a distance. And, and giving your team the tools they need to feel empowered to bring things to you so then you could bubble them up accordingly. Yeah, and not even the tools, but the attitude. The things that I observed in Asia was a feeling not, not only on the ground, but from other regions from afar that Asia would follow. We'll do something and then we'll follow an Asia. And, and my mantra kind of became Asia can lead. Like there are things that, that are different and, and where Asia as a market is leading, but also where the our team in Asia has a, an advantage or a different perspective and, and we can lead initiatives. We don't have to just be the afterthought. We'll do it everywhere else and then Asia will follow. So I think it's, it, it is a little bit about attitude as much as it is too about, about tools and technology. You, you had a phenomenal run at Thomson Reuters. It would be remiss not to ask about the things that you did that enabled you to have the kind of growth you did there. What are some things that you think you did well? I think I followed the right people when I considered opportunities. And even in the move from, from Thomson Reuters to S&P, I always look first at the person I'm working for and second at the job itself. I uniquely at Thomson Reuters and maybe uniquely at other companies too, over you know a long period of time, I really only worked for a handful of people. I tended to work for the same individual for five, six, seven years and grow with that person. I was really conscious about the leaders I chose to work for. To me, it's just, it's really important important the, the individual you work for because they do, they're the ones who are sitting in, you know, that next level meeting or two levels above you. And when the conversation starts to happen about you as an individual or what your potential is, they have to have your back. Um, and I know I've found other mentors and advocates across the organization who I also thought had my back, but never more than my direct manager. And, and that was deliberate on my part in terms of trying to find someone who, who I thought would help me ascend. And for someone who maybe is interviewing right now, they're evaluating leaders at different organizations. What are some of the things, I mean, we can get as tactical as even thinking about the sorts of questions people should be asking a, a potential leader, but what sorts of things in particular were you looking at? Yeah, I mean, it's easier when you're moving within an organization because you have a lot more visibility right into, into that person potentially that you're going to end up working for. 
It is a lot of gut feel. For me, it's about my sense of, can I connect with this person? Am I motivated by this person? There's also just lots of information out there today, whether it's LinkedIn or or others, to be able to find someone who knows someone who knows. I did a lot of investigation outside of, of S&P to learn about the leaders and the leadership style of those folks I would be going to work with. And it was quite important, actually, because I can say that when I walked away from the first couple of interviews, I wasn't sure. I was much more used to a, a different leadership style at Thomson Reuters than I see and have experienced at, at S&P. And it was a bit of a, I don't know if it was a turnoff, but it was making me consider whether or not this was the right organization for me. And I reached out to some folks who used to work at Thomson Reuters who then moved to S&P and, and got their perspective. And it was so valuable because they really turned me around and helped me appreciate that loud Pied Piper type of leader at the top isn't always necessarily the, the only kind of leader. And, and maybe for me personally, having shared earlier that I'm a bit on the quieter side, maybe I was hiding behind the bigger, louder personality and moving to an organization that is a little bit less drama, I would say, has been a benefit. It's allowed me to, to have a, a louder voice without having to be louder. It's just because everybody else is a little less loud. So ask around, learn not only what their style is, just how do they approach their job? You know, is your style going to align to that? What do they what do they value? For me, it didn't come out of the interview. It came out of, if it had been really bad, if it had been negative, it might have come out of the interview, right? You could have walked away and said, I just don't connect with that individual. I'm, it's probably not going to be something that's going to motivate me. But the excitement about it came from talking to um, to others who both worked with me before and, and uh, knew some of the leaders that I had followed and then also landed at S&P. And one of the greatest pieces of advice someone gave me middle of my career was that this idea of sort of pre-selling, <laughs> pre-selling your ideas, pre-selling the debate, pre-selling where you think that the drama is going to come from, you know, make sure you do that work before you go into a big meeting. So yes, same for going into a big interview, but I think that also applies even more importantly or more impactfully. Interview when you're going to, who's going to be in that big meeting, understand where your challenges are going to come from and, and try to manage those up front before you get into the room. I, I really found that to be really helpful. It's a sales process, understanding who's going to be in that meeting, what their goals are, what their objectives are, making sure that when you're talking through something or pitching something internally, it aligns with the broader goals. So true. And you try to tell our, you know, our, our starting reps this sort of, you know, the more work you can do up front, if you're not doing that research before you call now, you're really, you're putting yourself at a huge disadvantage. Well, LinkedIn is a, a pretty incredible tool because it's rare it's rare to have a connection that you don't have some sort of other connection with. You've touched on a couple of really good points about your network, both internally, but also externally, utilizing those people, um, not being afraid to send someone a message. It doesn't matter if it's been years since you last spoke. I will admit that I am not the strongest, most aggressive LinkedIn user in terms of, of my own networking. Um, and of course, you know, when you stay at a company for a very long time, you maybe sometimes lose track of how important that external network might become one day. Um, so investing in building that network. And it's actually, it's been great fun too, to reconnect with people. And, and now kind of almost with different intent now, you know, to help our kids all get internships and, you know, across different companies, I, I've really found it to be even more valuable personally than I thought it would. So all that time we invest in making those connections, totally, totally worth it. So when you're not working, where would we find you? Yeah, so we have a farm um, upstate, not upstate if you're from Syracuse, but if you're from New York City, it's upstate, upstate from here where my husband grew up. And uh, we built a house on the family farm a, a number of years ago, which is 
that's our place. Not only our weekend place, but certainly where the, the heart is of the family. And for me, it's been really important just as a mom. So, you know, during my husband was a stay-at-home dad for most of my career. And in New Jersey, he cooked, he cleaned, he did all that stuff. And when we go to the farm, it's this sort of physical role reversal where he's the farmer and I'm the farmer's wife. And been really interesting and I think important dynamic in our family to have not one parent playing one role, but both parents playing both roles, but not both parents playing both roles 50% of the time. It's like a 180 degree turn, you know, (laughs) from a Friday to a Monday. (laughs) Do you find that some of your mom skills come into play when... when And reverse as well, actually. My leadership skills come uh, come in handy with kids as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it's given me a lot more empathy for parents, for families, for, for what the struggle is that everyone brings to the job every day that you don't know about that's happening behind the scenes. Um, you know, it's certainly not to say that co-workers are children. I think it's just about identifying with people and understanding where they're at in life and how different that can be and how much sometimes you don't know about people. And not that you need to know that, but you need to just understand that there are things happening in their life outside of work that are likely impacting work and you may not know that. So, you know, I think that I'm a much better person having been a parent. And um, that doesn't mean that if you don't have kids, you can't be a great person either. But it it really sort of balances me. It helps keep me grounded in in what is important. I I kind of joke and say I do it because it gives me a life I like and it's a job I don't hate. It can be easy, I think, for folks to get sucked into the narrative that work has to be everything and work has to fulfill all of your happiness buckets. And there are going to be some days where it's great and there are going to be some days where it's tough. And so if you're relying on this singular thing to fill that, that happiness bucket to completion, there will be moments of disappointment. Well, Sandy, it has been so lovely to chat with you. Thank you so much for joining us. And for folks who might be interested in learning more about SMP or your team, how should they find you? Yeah, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm happy to uh, connect uh, with anyone who wants to, to chat a bit more. Well, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks so much, Alex. Thanks for listening. This was Sales Loft and Wise's Future Female CROs. Check back next week for another episode featuring an outstanding female CRO of tomorrow. And until next time, this was Sydney Sloan from Sales Loft. And Alex Adamson from Women in Sales Everywhere.